Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. It is Thursday, September 30th. Wake me up when September ends. The ACC Wheel of Doom is spinning off its axis. Virginia Tech wins 21-10 over Richmond. We're going to talk about that win. Uh, We're going to talk about ACC Week 4. We're going to do some lines. We're going to look at the ACC, give you our predictions to uh, to kind of close out the year. But before all that, Tim, what's going on? Just watching some baseball, getting ready to talk about some crazy ACC football over the weekend. And uh, yeah, lean into the chaos a little bit, man. um, I'm enjoying this season so far outside of Hokie football. Uh, about as much as I've ever enjoyed an ACC football season. So, you know, I am uh, I'm thriving in the chaos right now. Yeah, and I mean, it's not because the ACC football is so good, right? It's, uh, no, it's no. actually like the complete opposite. <laughs> Quite um, the opposite. It's so bad. I wouldn't even say it's like average. It's well below um, it's far and away the worst Power 5 conference this year. It's not really even up for debate. Your highest-ranked team is 23rd, and you have the 24th and the 25th as well. Um, but it makes every week super interesting because you just never know what's going to happen. So it's uh, it's it's really just hard to make sense of, of what's going on out there. But... Um, you know, if you're joining us for the first time, thanks for listening. Uh, you know, we're uh, Virginia Tech, an ACC-focused podcast, so appreciate you listening. Be sure to uh, leave us a review, tell your friends, uh, tell everyone about us, and uh, yeah, we're glad you're here. But let's jump into it, Tim. So, Richmond, Richmond Spiders, FCS Richmond, uh, comes into Blacksburg and uh, loses their quarterback kind of right off the bat. Um, they're using their backup quarterback, and they hang around the entire game. Virginia Tech kind of fails to put them away. 21-10 is the final, and just really kind of an underwhelming performance uh, that we really were all waiting for. We kind of knew it was going to happen, Let's, if we're yeah. being honest with ourselves. But we wanted to believe maybe it wouldn't happen. For whatever reason, Virginia Tech, and it's really not even – just under Fuente. It's really kind of over the course of time. It's been a team that really plays down to the opponent. Um, it feels like more so in the Fuente era, but I just I don't understand where Virginia Tech is at, at right now. You know, it's um, it starts with the quarterback. I think you know he Burmeister. You know, I like Burmeister. I, I I really hope he can can figure it out, but he's playing too inconsistent right now. Um, he's had some nice plays down the field. Um, he's just missing way too many gimmies that you'd expect a quarterback at his experience level to make. You know, he missed a wide-open Trey Turner in the end zone, which, you know, he hit Turner um, on the next pass, which led to an incredible Trey Turner touchdown catch. I think everybody who watched the game knows what I'm talking about. He missed a wide-open pass down the sideline to the tight end, Drake Julius. I mean, walk-in touchdown. Walks in. He skipped a short pass to Jaden Payute, which has been something he struggled with the entire season, is those kind of little short dump-off passes or little wheel routes where he just kind of airmails it. But it's just, 
watching Burmeister, it's just, you know, his primary asset is his athleticism, and it just feels like the coaching staff isn't putting him in those positions to really kind of take advantage of that. And it kind of just leads me to a bigger question, Tim. What is the offensive staff really, what are they doing right now? And That's a great question. I don't. I really don't want to dwell on the play calling because we've we've beat that drum over and over. It is what it is. It's not going to change. And to be clear, the the play calling itself wasn't egregiously bad in this game. I think it was no. more. No. You're just seeing the kind of fatigue of a system that doesn't quite fit the personnel extremely well, um, as well as just kind of an offensive malaise brought on by. Uh, years of bad coaching and a lack of player development. I mean, that's just that's what you're seeing on the offensive side of the ball right now. Yeah, and you know, I, I think like I just pointed to with the the missed touchdown pass down the sideline. You know, there was plenty of opportunities for Virginia Tech to extend drives, move the play, get chunk yardage, get some big scores, and um, Burmeister was just unable to come through for whatever reason. He's just not playing consistent enough. But when I point to the offensive staff and it's just I feel like I'm in some kind of like matrix when I'm watching them sometimes because I can understand wanting to get a guy into a football game. Especially against yeah. an FCS opponent, get him some reps. I get that. Sure. Game's close, it's on the line. I think that's a smart decision, really. And Knox Canem is the guy I'm talking about. Oh. But instead of giving it to him, when the drive starts at the 25 or there was a drive 10 that started at the 49 or just somewhere they give it to him at the six yard line i mean what in the world are you thinking you're gonna put an inexperienced guy back there who's coming in cold off the sideline and you're gonna put him in with his back up against his own end zone and he's not the most mobile guy back there. He's not a Burmeister. Right. Right. So you're not setting your guys up for success. You want to put them in the best situation to succeed. And, and you know, it's like when I saw that, it's just the staff can really do little else to blow my mind. And I feel like I've said that for the last three weeks on this podcast. Three Because I, I felt like I've seen it all to this point. That was a new one. That was just wild. I, I couldn't yeah. believe they inserted him into the game on the six-yard line. And then Fuente says after the game, where the ball was should be inconsequential to how he performs. I mean, how tone uh, deaf are you kidding? can are you be? Are you kidding me? Yes. I mean, when I, the throw when was I heard those quotes, my mind was blown <laughs> because Fuente spoke as if it was out of his control and that it was a foregone conclusion that they were going to get him in the game. Had to put him in right the there. Down, we couldn't The, we the, couldn't the down and distance was irrelevant because you got to get the guy in the game. When we talk about elementary coaching errors, these blunders, <laughs> I mean, this is a shining <laughs> example of something that is so out of touch and defies logic that you almost have to laugh. And now starting to talk about it, I'm starting to get irritated about it again because <laughs> Justin, this is your call when the when the guy goes in the game. Oh, it, it is within your control to say, you know what, the six, 
maybe I hang on to him for another drive and get him in a better start to spot or a better spot to go ahead and get his first uh, drive of the game in. Yeah. Um, just completely tone deaf. The answers again defies explanation, and these are the times where you just you just want to shake Justin Fuente because the explanation after the game was just. It, it, it almost was. Well, he should have performed better. He didn't execute. Oh, lovely word. But listen, it it was a bad throw. Don't get me wrong. But of course, the kid barely has reps. You put him in in that situation. You call a rollout on your own six to the side of your offensive line that's been ravaged by injury. He falls under pressure, and guess what? What is a young, inexperienced quarterback going to do? He's going to panic. Okay, He's going to panic and let it go. Ill-advised throw. And you go into the game, you want to get him a series. I get it. But you're probably assuming by the time you put in Knox Kadem in the second quarter, you're going to be up by more than 11 points at that point in the game when you're playing FCS Richmond. But F- you Fair weren't. assumption. So maybe, I don't know, you seen the Friends episode where they think they can get the couch up the stairs, but they can't? And what is <laughs> oh, Ross yeah, screaming? Classic. He's screaming, pivot! <laughs> <laughs> maybe, right. maybe you pivot. Yeah. Maybe you abort mission. Maybe right. you wait a little longer, or maybe you don't put them in at all. Or maybe you give the ball to them on the 25-yard line where a normal drive would start. Yeah. Yeah. But you, I mean, you act you're setting like you him just up for have failure. no control over the situation, and then you don't have any accountability for the situation you put him in. And you just, right. again, just you get on that execution crutch. I was well, listening to one of my favorite podcasts earlier today, and all this discussion kind of reminds me of something they brought up, which was hilarious. Um Back in the days of early Andy Reid coaching the Chiefs, uh, Andy Reid and the Pressers, when you know Jamal Charles, kind of a big fantasy deal, everybody wanted him to get more touches, including the coaching staff. And Andy would always be sitting in the presser saying, "You know, we just got to get Jamal Charles more touches." Andy, that's up to you, my friend. Who who are you talking to right now? And, yeah. and that's conversation. That's kind of what I want to say. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of what I want to say to Fuente is. But I mean, I think Andy Reid probably knew that too, right? Yeah, of course. Like he's saying that, like as a thought, like, geez, yeah, we've got to get him the ball more. Right, it, but but he's the one calling the plays. Right, you know, when Fuente's sitting there and saying, "Oh, well, you know, he was going to go in the game." Well, Justin, that is completely up to you when he goes in the game. And the fact that we're dancing around this subject and pretending like, oh, gosh, well, that's the answer. We're going to accept that at face value. I just feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I feel like Mr. Mugatu and Zoolander right now. I absolutely feel like I'm taking crazy pills with this staff. So, I mean, overall, the the offense was, um, I mean, it was pretty pathetic against an FCS opponent, especially when you've got... Maybe more than pathetic, right? I mean, 14 points... Against yeah, I mean, any FCS team is just as bad as it gets. It's not It's not good. And, I mean, no. the defense, you know, allowed 10 points, but really, you know, had Kadem not thrown that pick, you know, Richmond may not score a touchdown. And, again, Richmond oh, yeah. lost their starting quarterback, but Richmond 
not a high-powered offense. I didn't think they'd be able to move the ball very well against this defense, and they didn't. They had some big, big run plays at times where, you know, maybe that's just kind of a, a scheme thing for the, the game that you're calling against this type of opponent. But overall, I mean, I don't take anything really negative or positive away from the defense in this one. I mean, the defense is doing what the defense is supposed to do, and the defense is far outperforming my expectations for what this unit was supposed to be so far this season. Um, And it's just unfortunate because the offense is so far to the other side of the spectrum of underperforming. And I didn't think it was going to be the greatest offense we've ever, ever seen under Justin Fuente. Don't get me wrong. Like I thought that was just, you know, a crock of, you know what, but I thought it'd be better than this. And I mean, it, it just kind of, for me, you look at the personnel that this team has. I, I, you know, you've got 67 running backs. You're using three. Okay. You've got a quarterback who's mobile. You've been hesitant to run him. You're not allowing him to run an RPO for the most point. Honestly, this was the game where there was more designed runs for Burmeister, just to the naked eye, than there have been at all. But if you look at the first half, like Virginia Tech was not trying to run the football with the, with its backs. It was focused on the passing game. And I don't know if that was kind of the game plan going into it. We're going to try and run the ball. But really, if you're Virginia Tech, what you need to look for right now is some kind of balance. And there wasn't any balance in the first half for me. And running the no. football, they didn't do it well when they did. Barely <laughs> over 100 yards. They didn't right. surpass that mark until just over two minutes left in the game. And when they finally did focus on it, I think it was the first or second drive of the second half. It was by far their most balanced drive of the game. It opened up a big passing play down the field to Trey Turner. I believe it was Turner who caught the ball, um, who made a great catch. It wasn't a particularly great throw, but it gave you the opportunity to go down the field. And guess what? They scored a touchdown. That was probably, for me, the best offensive series of the game. The opening drive was a, a very good series, but for me to kind of come in and run that more balanced approach, like that's kind of what I want to see from Virginia Tech on a consistent basis. But Agreed. I just I don't know what, what they're doing. You know, I, I'm watching San Francisco and Green Bay this weekend, and... You know, watching Kyle Shanahan conduct an offense is it's a it's a work of art, you know. It doesn't matter who is on the field. It's all about the scheme. You know, they've got an average quarterback in Garoppolo, but he can go out and he can execute the plays, he can some sometimes he's not, right? It doesn't matter who's at running back. And you kind of look at Virginia Tech and you're like, they should take that approach because right now they don't really have that one guy who you look to and you're like, that's the lead back. You've got a handful of guys, but you put them into a scheme that allows the offense to move the ball. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who's back there. Yes, they're talented guys. Yes, they're in the NFL. But you keep rotating these guys in. It's like every other week there's a different guy on San Francisco who's in the backfield and he's finding success so it's like that's really kind of the mentality that i would suspect virginia tech should be taking 
But here we are, a year removed from Khalil Herbert in the backfield, who's averaging 7.7 yards per carry. Virginia Tech averages 240 yards rushing a game. And right now, Virginia Tech's averaging 140 rushing yards per game and 3.6 yards per carry. So we've gone the complete opposite direction of where they were last year, focused on the run, past second. And I I don't even know how to define what we're seeing out of the offense right now. The offensive line's a mess. We can't run the football. You've got an inconsistent quarterback. For everybody saying, well, the team's 3-1. and one. It feels like that we're 1-3. and three. Well, have you watched the football team? Now, I'll give it to you on the special teams and the defense. Super stoked with what I'm seeing outside of the kicker. But offensively, when we start playing better teams consistently, two of those three wins are against Middle Tennessee and Richmond. Is that supposed to get me excited? Sorry, I'm not super stoked about that. Yeah, I I mean, I'm not either, but that's the, I, I guess there's there's two crowds right now in, in Hokie land here. We got one side that buries its head in the sand um, and short of canceling a game or taking a, a bag full of dog poop and lighting it on fire on the 50-yard line before the game uh, are never going to hold coaches accountable or even be remotely criticized or criticism, blah be even remotely critical of the coaching staff uh, because obviously as you know you can't be critical of the coaching staff and be a fan at the same time by some logic nope um you've got that side of the fan base and then you've got the other side of the fan base yeah it's like the inverse toxic fan base where they want everything to be puppies rainbows and sunshine and if it's anything but then then they get mean nasty and, and shout everyone down we're three and one then you have the other half, which the negative side has fallen into, um, because there has been a negative undertone with Fuente uh, for the last three years, and the realistic side, which is seeing what's happening on offense now and saying, you know what, this is not acceptable in year six to be trotting this offense out under an offensive head coach uh, with the myriad of other issues that we've had in the past three years with the football program and the staff, and it's really coming to a boiling point now where it's absolutely put up or shut up time for this offense. My main criticism so far from what we've seen, and it really kind of expounded in the Richmond game, because honestly, take all the issues at West Virginia, Middle Tennessee State, even the under you know, underwhelming, slightly underwhelming performance of the offense against UNC. What I saw against Richmond from an offensive standpoint was so bad 14 points against an fcs opponent justin that is that is bad for georgia tech the year after the paul johnson era yeah. when they were running a spread offense with triple option players but let's put it into perspective for a second so richmond they're the number 24 team in the fcs new hampshire's number 21 pitt beat them by 70 <laughs> 77 to 7. Do you have the total yard count in front of you? I don't. It was 700 plus yards. I think it was like 727. (laughs) 700 700 yards. yards. Miami plays Um, Central Connecticut, okay? Which I I guess that's a FCS school. Honestly, I don't know. I'd never heard of Central Connecticut State or whatever they're called. With their two backup quarterbacks... 
who had not played this year, 69 to nothing, coming off a 38-17 drumming at home against Michigan State. But turns around with two backup quarterbacks and wins 69 to nothing. Yeah, it's hard to understate how bad this offense is right now. When you put it into the bigger picture of this is year six, to me, as a Hokie fan, that's unacceptable. Given some of the things that have been said and some of the uh, traits we've attributed to Justin Fuente over the years as far as his offensive prowess, um, all those were lies. <laughs> That's where I am right now. Lie. There were so many lies. Well, I, I watched the press conference this week on Monday because I guess I just so wanted to, I. you know, sit there and be irate the rest <laughs> of the day. Yeah, yeah. Me I too. mean, just why are they even having having the press conferences? They don't say anything. Cornelson, I thought he was lost. Like, first off, I it, I had realized I hadn't seen the man all season. I mean, they, it looks like they had just pulled him out of the woods and he was just shocked by the light that was shining down on him because he hadn't seen any daylight in days. That's kind of what he looked like. And then yeah. he's sitting there and he's answering these questions and he's just mumbling and looking down and I'm just like, dude, can you not at least pretend like you're a little bit more energetic than this? Like, yeah. I'm sorry. But you should have come out and said, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. What we saw against Richmond is unacceptable. I'm really tired, really tired, especially after an FCS opponent, hearing about, oh, it's just little things we got to do. It's just the little little things. We're going to be right there. I've been hearing that it, it's not. for five years. It's it's not. And I totally agree. I what I want more than anything is actual accountability from this staff. And what I mean by actual accountability is not uh, hollow references to, well, we got to coach better or, you know, we're not coaching well enough. I want actual specific accountability that shows me you understand the expectations and how poorly uh, and how far you are from reaching them at the moment. I want some kind of acknowledgement of how bad it is and what a bad look it is to come out of the game against Richmond with 14 offensive points. And and the thing, the, the overarching issue right now, because like I said, there wasn't anything egregious play-calling-wise against Richmond, which is sad because there's nothing to point to. There are no low-hanging fruit excuses for why we only put up 14 points. Here's what I'll say. Other than You've got a dynamite quarterback, athletic, um, has a certain skill set that could play really, really well at the college level. And instead of tailoring our offensive game plan around what Braxton does well, we appear to be leaning into what he doesn't do so well. And the fact that we are this far into the season and have not rectified that blows my mind. Now, what we should be doing is leaning heavily into an RPO and read option type offense and getting Braxton rolling out as much as we possibly can. You but know we're what's not odd? doing that. You know what's odd, We're not too? doing it. It's square peg round hole. And, and how, how do I see this? 
How do you see this? And how does a quarterback whisperer not get it? Well, you know what's odd? So I, I listened to the uh, Don V interview with Gerard Evans, and the thing that made me take a look at how the quarterbacks were being utilized is when he was talking about how he had over 200 carries. So, you know, Trayvon McMillan in 15 rushes for 1,000 yards. Next season, you know, Evans outpaces him by 59 carries at the quarterback right. position. You go That's to 2017, lot. Josh Jackson leads the team in carries with 124 attempts. 2018, Jackson gets hurt. They turn to Willis. Willis finishes second on the team with 113 carries. Stephen Peoples led the team that year. In 19, kind of a weird season. You had Ryan Willis start, then Hinton Hooker came in. QP got a lot of action. 212 total carries from the quarterback position overall. And then in last season, where you had Khalil Herbert, who was averaging 7.7 yards per carry, had 154 carries. At the quarterback position, Hendon Hooker, Quincy Patterson, Braxton Burmeister. Hooker had 120 carries, a total of 180 out of that position. So moral of the story is, Cornelson is going to run the football from the quarterback position. I guess my question is, why aren't we doing that more this year with Burmeister? Because yeah. the runs that we are designing for him, I, I mean, they're, they're not RPOs. You know, they're more of kind of like a, de- a delayed quarterback draw or he's scrambling out of the pocket. There, right. there isn't powers. a lot of designed or, or run pass options being called right now for Burmeister, which it seems to just go against what we've seen. Like if you go back to last exactly. year with Hendon Hooker, Hendon Hooker got his head just – there's no, no wonder Hendon Hooker probably left. It was probably for a situation similar to why Gerard Evans decided – you know what, this offense isn't for me anymore. I'm ready to move on anyway. I'm going to head out. I don't want to run this much. And Hooker probably felt the same way. And, I mean, yeah. he's still running in Tennessee, don't get me wrong, but that's not – Hooker was a better passer than Burmeister. Burmeister, I would think, is a better runner than a passer, at least from what we've seen. Why don't we bring that out of him? What are we waiting on? Are we waiting for Notre Dame? I, I well, mean, you know, that that's what I'm getting at here is we could tailor this offense to be more effective running the quarterback by introducing levels of whatever RPO or read option that are being introduced that we've done in the past. But those have mysteriously disappeared. And instead of doing that and making it harder on the defense to stop, by getting the read option, that would also have the byproduct of getting the running backs more involved in the running game. You are making it easier for the defense to stop the quarterback and limit the running by not calling the most effective plays for Braxton to take advantage of that speed. And I'm just confused, man. I mean, honestly, I'm confused about this offense and what we're setting out to accomplish. I, I don't I haven't seen it yet. Nothing is clicked. I, I don't know what we're doing out there, Justin. I really don't. And the stats bear out that I don't think our coaches know what we're doing either. No, that's what's, that's what's frustrating about it. And, I mean, 
I don't I don't know how much weight to put in the, the Richmond thing. I I mean the concern is the weight that you put on it is you only scored 14 points. But the game plan was just kind of a mess. It was just a mess. Like from top to, top to bottom, it was a disaster. I just didn't understand the game plan. You've got a banged up offensive line. Here was another fun Fuente quote. Shuffling the offensive line around shouldn't matter. Oh, God. Well, I, I know Vance Vice loves to move guys around, but it is going to matter, Justin. Yeah. I mean, guys are better at certain positions than they are at other positions. So you take a center it shouldn't and matter. you move him to a different position like tackle or guard, he's maybe not going to play at as high of a level. So, yeah, it does matter. What yeah. are we talking it's, about? I don't know. Um construction of the offensive line absolutely matters i don't know why he would say that um and i I guarantee if you asked him right now he'd give you some football guy non-answer as to why he said that but he certainly doesn't believe it i'd almost rather him come out and just pull a marshawn lynch and just say i'm only here so i won't be fined than to give me quotes like that because when i hear things like that like i start to doubt like, I'm like, does he realize what he said? Is he saying that intentionally? Is that sarcasm? Because it comes off as sarcasm to me. Tim, if you're yeah. in um, if you're in finance and I decide I'm going to put you in engineering, you think you're going to perform at a high level? Well, uh, Justin, shuffling professionals around shouldn't matter. <laughs> um, I will say, if we get the Marshawn Lynch approach, as long as he doesn't say the word execution, I'm all for it. Yeah, well, he was thinking it, for sure, and that's what he alluded to. But, I mean, either way, Tim, to kind of round out the Richmond game, like I said, not much. I don't think we can take away from the defense. I think the defense performed a couple of, you know, sketchy. My biggest thing with the defense is where where is Amari Barno? (laughs) That is is the strangest case. Ever. I mean, he's going to show up on the next season of Disappeared. Um, I don't know. I, I hope he's okay wherever like I'm, he is. I'm, I'm watching the game, and I just I have the thought. I'm like, how many snaps is this guy playing a game? Because when I'm actively looking for him on the field, he's not on the field. He's not there. Right. So it seems like they're only using how... him in certain situations, and I'm. it's just such a missed opportunity. I don't know what's going on with that, but... It was almost a third straight straight week of not being in the box score. He didn't do yeah. anything until the third quarter. I mean, a guy with that kind of ability uh, to just go essentially missing um, is concerning from a game planning standpoint and personnel standpoint. Uh, and maybe there's something more going on there. I don't know if he's maybe nursing an injury we don't know about. Or something along those lines. And, and this may sound critical of, of Justin Hamilton, and I don't mean it to, um, because by and large, I think he's been an absolute uh, game changer for the Hokies this year. Without Justin Hamilton, we'd be packing it up right now. Um, but it's just strange. I mean, a guy that is as undisputably talented as he is to just disappear for as long as he has I mean, now disappear. is just make it make sense. Yeah. So... Summarizing thoughts on the Hokies now that September has concluded. I mean, 
back to the three and one conversation. I would have taken three and one, one and and run with that to start the year. Don't get me wrong; like I'm not upset that the team has won three games, but I've got my doubts about what they can do going forward. And it starts with the offense. I honestly, you know, Tim, people that know me, I, you know, realize I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. And I don't say this to be sarcastic, but I see a lot of similarities between the Bears and Virginia Tech right now. You know, we had a, um, a clip of Nick Foles standing there on the sideline talking to Andy Dalton, and he was caught mouthing the words, Matt's offense just isn't working. And that's the situation we're in right now. Yeah. Whether it's Justin's offense or whether it's Brad's offense, it just isn't working right now. Nope. And it's kind of in disarray. They're in a situation where their coach and their GM could be fired. And they're panicking. But you look at Virginia Tech, and there's not a lot of places to turn here. You know, you're not going to fire Fuente in season. We know that's not going to happen. We know Fuente's not going to make a change. And again, I'm not sure it's going to matter because it's going to still be the same offense. Correct. But when I look at a guy like Trey Turner, who for his career is averaging 17 yards per catch and look like a superstar on the field, albeit against Richmond, but when given the opportunity this year, he looks like he's ready to break out. It was only his third 100-yard receiving game of his entire career. He's averaging 17 yards per catch, and he's only had three 100-yard games? I didn't even know that was possible. It shouldn't be possible, but it is, clearly, as we've proven. Then you've got Tavion Robinson, who's just basically a dormant volcano. Luckily, you know, he's back there on the punt return team, and can't be held back by the conservative play of this offense but we got to get those guys to football they're tech's two top options they're really good they're very experienced and we can't get them the football for whatever reason and i'm not talking about out of a jet sweep or an end around or some kind of handoff down the field you've got the guys to send down the field throw it up let them make a play they've shown that they can go out and make a play, fight for the football. They don't even have to get separation. Give them a chance to make a play. But Jaden Payute, you know, he seemed to be on the field more against Richmond than he has been. He's been battling the injury, limited opportunities. Dwayne Lofton sounds like he's been good to go, just haven't been seeing him this year. Guess he's redshirting, I don't know. Nick Gallo doesn't make a lot of appearances. You know, Dulius, he seems to be wide open all the time. Either BB just doesn't see him or he can't hit him. It's one or the other. But they need to figure out how to get him more involved in the offense because I swear, anytime you watch a replay and you're like, oh, look at this guy right here. Look who it is. It's Drake running wide open. And so it's, you know, from that standpoint, it just kind of goes back to the passing game. And it really starts with the quarterback. If Burmeister can figure it out, we've seen flashes from the guy. Okay, we saw it at the end of last season. He's shown flashes this season. He's just struggling with consistency right now. 
And I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's getting him in the rhythm. He seems to play really well when he comes out with scripted plays. Is that kind of the speed of the game? Because I think as we see in the first one or two drives of the game, Virginia Tech's playing at a much faster pace. And then once they get into the flow of the game, that pace dies. You know, they yeah. move to a slower-paced offense. So is, is that what it is? Do they need to play faster? Play be. faster. Could be. I don't know. Yeah, I look, I've been beating that drum for far too long. I think tempo is one way you could really improve this stagnant offense. And at times we go high tempo and we do pretty well. Um, when we're playing from behind, I think our offense becomes much better, which uh, the coaches should be able to dig into and identify why. But I can tell you it's because we push the ball vertically uh, more aggressively when we go behind. Um, you know, all these things shouldn't have to mention, you know, a good offensive coaching staff should be able to pick up on these keys. Uh, you know, basically the, the, the theme music to this entire uh, month has been wake me up when September ends by green day, because this offense for an entire month has put me to sleep. I can't recall a more boring vanilla counterproductive, disappointing congregation collective assortment of games that we've sat through consecutively in my entire life as a Virginia Tech fan. Um, and that's saying something. That is saying something. And yeah. maybe I'm being overly critical. Maybe not. All I will say is that it should be unacceptable to everyone that considers themselves a Hokie fan. Um, and, and really, the part that really bothers me is that those players on that team deserve much, much better than they've received from the coaching staff because there's real talent there. I think Trey Turner has the potential to be an elite receiver. Um, he hasn't been given that opportunity. That opportunity has been taken from him at Virginia Tech. And it's a shame because the, the catch we saw against Richmond, um, you don't see catches that good in college. Uh, that, that's a once-in-a-season type catch. And the fact that we've got a wide receiver capable of doing that and we can't figure out how to get the ball in his hands uh, just hurts. And the kids deserve better. They deserve a lot better because there's a bunch of really good ones on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and, that, and that's what's so frustrating is there, this, this is not an untalented football team. You know, there's, there's plenty of talent on this football team. And this is a year where the ACC, it's wide open. Anybody can win it which we have not been able to say in, what, six, seven years? You know, I think it was 2016 when Clemson really started making their run. That's right. Um, so, you know, if you think back to the preseason and we were looking at, you know, how many wins does Fuente need, I don't think it's necessarily even tied to a, a win total right now. No, not I anymore. I think it starts with winning the Coastal. If you can't win the Coastal this year, it ain't happening. Yeah. It, it, that that's that's it. You and you've on. already it, got if, UNC if it's not, and UVA. If it's not this losses. year, it's never. That's right. exactly right. And it, I don't even know if it's tied to a win loss record this year because of how bad the ACC is. You almost have to look at the performances. And if we're getting similar offensive performances by the end of the year, um, changes are going to be made. One because this kind of offense won't be able to win ACC games even against uh, the weaker coastal. They will struggle to win games uh, if that doesn't improve. Um, but the, the fans are on the verge of, of losing their collective minds. And I, 
donors that have a, a, a large say in what happens with the football program via their wallets, uh, I imagine, are not too happy with the product on the field, wins or losses be damned. Now, the defense on the flip side, as we've mentioned, looks pretty solid. You know, they held UNC to 10 points. UNC obviously way overhyped, but still an explosive way offense. Overhyped. Middle Tennessee held the first team to one touchdown, gave up the 10 to Richmond. West Virginia started bad, but ended strong. Secondary's been really good. You know, Jermaine Waller's got three picks already, something like that. Um, they, they have five interceptions total on the year. You know, Dax and Tisdell lead the team in tackles. Um, you know, we talked about Barno. So, I mean, I think there's... I think there's a lot of things to be positive about with the defense. It's year two of Justin Hamilton. They've made tremendous strides from where they were at last year. Um, and then special teams, you know, I think Tavion has, has found his 2019 form at punt returner. Uh, the kickoff return team has played very well. Peter Moore has been very serviceable at punter. He's fourth in the ACC uh, in punt average at 43.8. The real glaring weakness has been uh, John Parker Romo, but... You know, there's still time he can figure that out. So I think if, you know, there's things to be positive about, it's the defense and special teams um, at Virginia Tech. And that's going to have to be what keeps them in games right now until this offense can kind of figure it out. So there is that. That's what I've been most happy with um, in September through four games of the season, what I'm most optimistic about. Um, and I still think, I still think this offense. I'm not saying they're going to be a world-beater type of offense, but they can definitely play better than what they're playing right now. And I think it's one of those situations to where, you know, I'm hoping it's not as bad as it looks right now. I'm hoping. I don't know if it is or if it isn't. But if it is or if it isn't, I, I want to see this team play more consistent no matter who the opponent is. And that's what drives me so crazy about them. Because you can yeah. have a performance where you come from behind with West Virginia and you're doing some things until you get to the red zone. You know, you can compete with UNC. You shouldn't be competing with Richmond. You should be blowing them out. And I, I understand that Fuente said this team isn't built to blow anybody out, and that was not more evident than what we saw on Saturday. But you got to blow Richmond out. you got to blow FCS opponents out of the water. And... The inability of this team to do it, whether it's killer instinct or whatever it is, like you've got to play more consistent week in and week out. If you come and you hit Notre Dame right in the mouth and you're in that game until the end, and then you turn around and you know you're you're coming down to a a field goal at the end of the game against Syracuse, like that's an issue. Yeah. What are you totally doing? Totally agreed. Totally agreed. And, you know, that that's, you know, one of the more alarming things, I think, that we've kind of glossed over uh, because of, you know, so much in the coaching game that's gone wrong is the fact that the offensive line just looks like a train wreck. And that more than anything, to me, scares me uh, for the prospects of the season. It's one thing to be bad on offense. It's one thing to be bad on offense with a bad offensive line. Um, that That's when you hit uh, Florida State levels of, of panic. So I'm hoping that improves. Uh, Lord knows the bye week is, is hitting the Hokies at the right time. Um, but it's a shame we, had, we ran off two really talented offensive linemen because this is a line that could have really used uh, some bolstering on that front. And 
I'm not one for the shuffling of offensive linemen. I, I truly think that matters. Um, and, and these guys that are comfortable in their positions when they get moved around, it's very difficult on them to find consistency and rhythm. Um, and I, I just, I really hope that improves because in order for this offense to get where it can be, uh, you could run into a scenario where we start making some better play calls. The schemes are, are a little bit better, but if that offensive line is bad, it, it might all be for naught. Yeah. And I mean, this team is teetering, you know, they, they're, they're oh, in yeah. a boat on the brink and there's a big hole and it's, there's, there's three people in the boat however you want to look at it. And the offense is the biggest thing that is steering this season off track right now, um, which is concerning when you've got a staff that came in and was supposed to, you know, install an offense and make Virginia Tech an offensive juggernaut. So when you're um, the issue, you know, that's a problem, especially in year six. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. We're going we're gonna to come back to this. Let's go around the ACC first. You know, so big news. Tim, you probably saw this game. Uh, NC State pulls the upset in Raleigh, takes down Clemson in overtime. NC State's kicker missed three field goals. Two were from over 50 yards, but I think it was, what, a 39-yard attempt at the end of the game as time was expiring that he uh, that that's, he missed. That's right. And then, um, you know, they were able to take care of it in overtime. But really, Devin Leary balled out, man. I mean, Clemson's defense had not – allowed an offensive touchdown coming into the game. He goes 32 for 44, 238, four touchdowns. Really kind of the performance of his career, I thought. Huge win for Dave Dorn and company. Clemson drops the 25th in the polls. There is no shot they're getting a college football playoff spot this year. DJU, 12 of 26 for 111 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. He looks terrible. Consistently overthrowing receivers. He, He looks terrible. He looks worse than Burmeister because and, and Burmeister at least does something here and there that's like, wow, okay, okay. But this guy if you're a Clemson is consistently fan, bad. Watching DJU has to be the most frustrating thing in the world because he can make passes that some players in the NFL can't make. Flat out, physically unable to make. The, the touchdown pass early in the game to Justin Ross, I think it was on the second drive, um, was one of the most beautiful throws I've seen this year. Um, gifted, gifted throwing the ball. But his inconsistency has got to kill you because he goes from making an NFL-level pass, showing you that ability, to then overthrowing receivers, throwing behind receivers, holding on the ball too long, which is one of the biggest things that DJU is struggling with right now is you can tell he doesn't trust himself. Um, Has to be frustrating. When you flip it on the, the NC State side of things, uh, the game plan from Tim Beck was outstanding against Clemson. Uh, 96 total plays, I think, uh, to 45, roughly. Um, that's insane. That, that, that's pure dominance. And the, the final score line didn't reflect it because of those mixed, missed kicks. Um, but wow, w- what a game. And, and Devin Leary in total control of that offense. The game plan was to dink and dunk Clemson to death. And it worked because Clemson... I guess was anticipating a bunch of deep shots against NC State because they really didn't let anything happen over the top. Uh, but Tim Beck saw that and said, all right, I'm going to take what you give me. And Devin just balls, accurate balls. He maybe missed one pass the entire game. And if you're an NC State fan, you've got to be excited about the future now because your destiny is in your hands. 
it's it's really early in the season to be talking about destiny, but the big 100-pound, 500-pound gorilla is off your back. You've beat Clemson. The path to the ACC championship game is there in a way that it hasn't been for NC State in years. And where they go from here and how they capitalize on this opportunity, uh, I think will say a lot about uh, Dave Doran's ability to keep that team focused because this was NC State's Super Bowl and Dave Doran's Super Bowl. It was his one chance to get that signature win that he's lacked. I mean, he's got a good resume, Dave Doran. If you look at his past, I don't know, I, I, try, I wiped the slate clean on that first year because the cupboard was bare when Tom O'Brien left NC State. They had nothing. And so you had a year where you were running a grad transfer wide receiver from Arkansas, a quarterback um, with a backup quarterback from Colorado State that ended up playing the bulk of the year, Pete Thomas. To now, you've got probably the deepest team NC State's ever had. You finally got that signature win. I think NC State probably has the best defense in the ACC outside of Clemson. So there are a lot of pieces that have fallen together. Um and can NC State sustain success? Uh, history yeah. says they struggle with that. So can they we will play see. consistent? Yep. And and if they can, uh, they have a just as good a shot as anyone of winning the ACC title this year. Which is why this year, to me, I get it. I'm not one of those guys that really cares too much about what other people think about our conference. And yeah, it's down this year. But I promise you, the football games are going to be exciting. They really are, and it's going to be something different. But NC State, you can't say enough about how big this was, and it was brought up on Packer and Durham. One of the more impressive things was they really dominated the game uh, in, in uh, before overtime. They and did. then in overtime, they won too. So you really you won the, the regular time against Clemson and you won overtime against Clemson, uh, which is, is saying a lot regardless of how poorly they're playing on offense. That, that defense continues to amaze me uh, at how good they are and how much athleticism is on that side of the ball. Yeah, DJ, um, he reminds me a lot of Jamarcus Russell, but the Raiders version. That is a crazy good comparison right now. That is crazy good. He just can't seem to put it together. We've seen it before. We saw it for two games. We know it's in there, but where, where is it? You know, so... There's something going on there. Uh, defensively, Clemson takes a hit. They lose Brian Breeze, Torres ACL, probably their best defensive lineman, but a positional group where they're they're stacked. So, you know, if, if any team is built to kind of withstand that or kind of move on, it's, it's Clemson. So, um, tough week. Will Shipley also got banged up, so not sure what his status is going to be going forward. Surprises of the week, Tim. Georgia Tech. Rex, North Carolina, 45-22. Did not see this one coming. And Jeff Sims came off the bench and balled out. So I'm not sure what was going on there if uh, if Jeff Collins had decided that, you know, Jordan Yates has been playing well, he's been managing the game, hasn't been turning the ball over, we're going to stick with him. And then just decided, you know what, Sims is healthy, we're going to pop him in. 10 carries, 128 yards, 3 touchdowns, sent a 13 passing for 112 and a touchdown. Didn't turn the ball over. First game since getting hurt against Northern Illinois. So not sure if we're going to see both quarterbacks going forward for Georgia Tech, but if Sims can play consistently, it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. And for Carolina, you know, what can you say? Preseason hype, they're frauds. You know, they finished September 2-2. and 0-2 in the conference, 
defensively, they're a nightmare, which is probably the most surprising thing to me about how bad they've been on defense. Offensively, they're just not playing well. It's a one-man show at times. It's the Sam Howell show, but they're struggling to run the football with the backs, and I still think they can figure it out. I think they're going to be in the coastal division picture, but they've dug themselves quite a hole, especially when you've got Miami, who hasn't started conference play yet, and you've got Virginia Tech, who you've already lost to. So those are your two toughest competitions, and right now they have zero losses in the division you have two. So lucky for them, the ACC is uh, very winnable, but bad, bad loss considering where Georgia Tech is and the hype around Carolina this offseason. A tale as old as time, Mac Brown, coach team squandering talent. Yep. Um, you really couldn't have seen this one coming. and I The think Texas to, way. The Texas way, as Mac has learned to do over the years. No one uh, gets less out of talent than Mac Brown. And, you know, a lot of people bought into the hype. Me, not one of them. Um, I still think it was preposterous that anyone was projecting that offense to not miss a beat, given what they lost. And we're seeing kind of a worst-case scenario uh, where their defense just looks kind of lost. And, um, yeah, to, to flip to the Georgia Tech side of things, they, they seem to be putting it together. Uh, there's a lot of talent on that team. There's a lot of athleticism. And uh, Georgia Tech in this thing as much as anybody else. But, um, yeah, UNC, UNC fans down bad right now. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Jay Bateman fired before the season ends if this continues, to be honest, because his name kind of came up as hot seat-ish anyway. Yeah, um, so, yep, I would agree. Uh, that's something to watch to see how uh, how much leash he has this year, but there's too much talent on that defense for it to be playing the way it's playing right now. Uh, defense that is playing well, Syracuse, takes down Liberty 24-21, so don't look now for all you 3-1 and one lovers, but the Orange are 3-1, and one, playing very good defense. That's a good Liberty offense they held in check, and uh, Syracuse actually got up 21-7 in this game, forced the fumble on Malik Willis late, kicked the game-winning field goal as time expired. Offensively, still not really much working at the quarterback position. They did make the switch to Garrett Schrader, who was the transfer from Mississippi State, um, from Tommy DeVito. What Schrader brings that DeVito can is mobility, um, does a little bit more on the ground, so better athlete back there, which um, you know Syracuse's offensive line is... Uh, unstable, so um, we'll we'll kind of see. I think Syracuse is a team worth monitoring uh, because their defense is so good. Um, they've got a pretty solid running back in Sean Tucker, who's off to a really good start. So, you know, it's it's a interesting team. I'm really interested to see their matchup against Florida State this week. Um, if they can win that, which I think they should, because Florida State's a train wreck right now. Um, you know, it's it's just worth monitoring. Virginia Tech plays Syracuse in three weeks. Uh, that's not the easiest. That's not the easy win that we were expecting it to be, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on. Um, you know, it's uh, interesting how things change over the course of the season, and obviously this illustrates that point. Uh, thinking about the ACC as a whole. 
it struck me when I was looking at, you know, watching Duke play and the level at which everyone else is playing as far as teams that we thought. And I think Virginia Tech, I'd lump in there, teams that I thought would be at the top half or the upper middle portions of the conference. There's going to be zero easy games for anyone, I think, from here on out. I mean, it's just one of those times where anybody can beat anybody. Um, and the flip side of the conference looking bad a lot of it is looking bad at the top. I actually think a lot of the bottom of the conference has looked better than I thought they would. Yeah. Uh, Wake Forest, highest-ranked team in the ACC. They moved to 4-0. They uh, just manhandle UVA. I mean, this game was not in doubt ever. You know, 37-17. UVA defense, atrocious. I mean, back-to-back weeks almost without forcing a punt. They finally did force a punt against Wake but gave up over 600 yards to North Carolina, 473 to Wake. Armstrong did go for over 400 yards, but, you know, they've got him slinging around the rock in garbage time where it's just like there's no rushing game to speak of for UVA, none. They had less than 100 yards rushing. Their defense is terrible. It's not a recipe for success, and, you know, they're going to be able to win some games because Armstrong is a threat. They've got a, a solid passing offense. Don't get me wrong, but they're already down there with two losses in the ACC. I mean, they're they're out of it, in my opinion. I, I don't see them competing for the Coastal at this point. Uh, Sam Hartman playing at a very high level, 270 yards, three touchdowns. Wake had over 200 yards on the ground. They, they could be the team to beat in the ACC right now. I still think the Atlantic is far and away the strongest division. You've got Wake, you've got Clemson, you've got NC State, you've got a 4-0 Boston College, um, and you've got a Louisville and a Syracuse team that are better than we thought they may be. They'll, you know, the, the bottom feeder right now is Florida State. So time will tell, um, but this is a good Wake Forest team, no doubt. Yeah, and you kind of know they would be um, based on who their coach is. Like I said, I feel like I sing Clawson's praises all the time on this podcast, but this is what's happening now is exactly why i mean he's the inverse mac brown where he maximizes talent in a way that most most coaches only dream of and that's because of the scheme he recruits the scheme he knows his scheme um and his players know his scheme and when you have that kind of synergy on the offensive side of the football uh you know good results follow and you know defensively they're not shabby either especially in the turnover category uh you know on the on the other side with virginia that defense is piss poor uh the effort on that side of the ball is the thing that shocks me the most from virginia is it's not just a talent issue it's a have some pride issue i don't know if you saw this video of their pass rush on that i think it was two minutes in on the wake forest drive on the touchdown pass that got wake forest its first score the three down linemen that are are, that are rushing the quarterback are putting 40% effort into it at best. And if you haven't seen it, Justin, you need to see this clip. Uh, if I was the coach, I remind me after this podcast, and I will make sure you see this clip. If I was the head coach, Justin, I don't know what I would do in film review uh, to the people that were on the field, you know, specifically the three down linemen. Um, bad effort, no talent. It's going to be a long season for UVA. Boston College pulls out the W in overtime against Mizzou, 41-34. This is after the Missouri kicker kicked a 56-yard field goal to tie the game to send it into overtime. 
Really, the Achilles heel of Missouri has been their inability to stop the run, and BC dominated them on the ground. Pat Garwo, the third, 175 yards, two touchdowns. The team had 275 on the ground. Dennis Grossell made plays when needed. Uh, the defense forced turnover, two turnovers. They're a scrappy team, playing with the backup quarterback, but they're 4-0. And a uh, big matchup against Clemson this week. But you got to be happy uh, if you're a BC fan right now. Yeah, you got to be. And if you're a Mizzou fan, you've got to be frustrated as heck because you know what they were going to try to do from the beginning. They weren't going to be able to pass the ball. You would think coming into the game so one-sided on offense that that would be easier to stop as you could just run key the entire game. And somehow they still ran all over Missouri. And I may be bitter because they lost me an absolutely massive payout on a $20 parlay. But... (laughs) All that being said, I really don't know how Missouri wasn't able to control that game better defensively, given uh, Boston College had come in and basically shown their hand uh, due to injury. And Boston College um, looking good still. I mean, I I think that one-sided nature of their offense is going to catch up with them. I don't think they're going to be able to win uh, as many games as I think folks are kind of thinking they will be based on their performances early just because of the kind of handicapped nature of that offense right now. Uh, but you never know. Crazier things have happened. And, you know, with BC running like this, it feels like uh, we've around the clock maybe five or six years. But either way, Boston College gets it done. An SEC team goes down at the hands of an ACC team. And, and you'd never hate to see that. Yeah, I still just don't consider Mizzou SEC. But, you know, whatever. Uh, it is a weird thing. Takes care of Florida State, 31-23, FSU now 0-4, and then Duke beats Kansas by 19, 52-33. So that kind of rounds out the ACC. Uh, the FCS matchups we mentioned earlier, uh, Pitt putting up 700-plus uh, yards against New Hampshire, winning 77-7. to And then Miami without Derrick King beats Central Connecticut 69 nothing. So... That kind of takes us into the next thing, Tim. So the ACC outlook. We've got September in our rear view. We've got three teams with two conference losses already. UNC, UVA, and Florida State. We've got Boston College, Syracuse, Duke, Pitt, and Miami, who have yet to play a conference game. That changes this week. GT and Clemson have a loss. And then you've got Virginia Tech, Wake, Louisville, and NC State that are currently undefeated. Um, sitting in either 1-0 or 2-0. Okay, so with that being said, what we know, you know, the ACC has been uh, less than good, struggle to say even mediocre. What is your post-September prediction for the ACC championship? That's a really, really good question. Um Huh. This is probably the hardest it's ever been to predict. Let me just well, get just, out in front of it. It's just a complete crapshoot. Right. I mean, that it's always hard to predict on one side. And it's it's still early, but we've we've had some things happen. We've seen some teams. We're we're still unsure on so many teams. We're we're unsure if Virginia Tech can figure it out. If Virginia Tech can figure it out on offense, I like their chances. Uh, yeah. Miami. They're sitting there right now. Big game against UVA on Thursday night. That's going to kind of be the first, like, okay, you've kind of squandered your out-of-conference opportunities. 
you know, you haven't looked great, even in your wins against like an App State. You got manhandled by Michigan State at home. Obviously, you got destroyed by Alabama. Where are you, Miami? What kind of football team are you? I I think yeah. overall, Miami's just not very good. Uh, but I still no, think they can I, win the Coastal. I don't think so either. I do too. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it, and Miami still might be my pick for the Coastal. And that just speaks to how bad the Coastal is. That's not a vote so of confidence So maybe a better Miami. question. How many, how many losses do you think the Coastal champion will have? Three. Okay. So Carolina right now sitting at two. Yes, they're still in it. Yeah. But what, what do you think the odds are that they, that they get there? With that defense, slim. Yeah. They'd um, have to have a lot that, go their way. They would, and and a lot of it too is because of the momentum of the program, and psychologically, I just think that they took one on the chin, and I think that's going to continue to linger for the rest of the season. Um, they got knocked off their perch, exposed as frauds, and granted, they didn't put themselves on the perch. That was the media that saw an eight and five team last year, that was eight and five with absolutely elite offensive talent lost almost all of that elite offensive talent and somehow thought they were going to be better. Yeah. But that's that's another tangent. Um, you know, it's, it's Virginia Tech or Miami for me in the Coastal. I mean, there's no question about that. Those are the two I gravitate towards. Um, Miami only because of Derek King, and he's a guy that could win the Coastal single-handedly this year. I think he's the most dynamic playmaker on that side of the conference uh, that still has a pulse. And... You know, on on the Atlantic side, it's North Carolina State or Wake Forest for me. Um, I think those are fairly uh, fairly high front runners. Clemson, I think, is going to be there too. But the DJU question just looms so large. After what I've, I have to see it from DJU in one game this year before I'm willing to buy in on Clemson. I mean, he's at a level. He he's probably playing the worst of any quarterback in the league right now. Oh, he and, is. And let that sink in. Let yeah. let that sink in. Go back to your mindset preseason. And let that statement resonate in your head. They're last in every offensive how, category. And realize how topsy-turvy the ACC is this year, man. Yeah. Yeah, I think if, if you look at Virginia Tech, they've got seven conference games left, three at home, four on the road. They've got Syracuse and Duke at home. Must wins. And then the other must win for me for Virginia Tech is Georgia Tech. So if they can win those three, they would need to go two and two. They could go no, they could go one and three in the other games, which would be UVA, Miami, Boston College, and Pitt. And theoretically win the coastal at five and three. Um Yeah. Which you know, I, I sit here today and I look at Virginia Tech and I'm like, I don't I don't know if they can win five conference games right now. And I, we just don't know yet. Because I think as we sit here today, if, if Virginia Tech is to not improve at a lick on offense, they're not going to go 5-3 and three in the Coastal um, or in the ACC. It's just not going to happen. But if they can figure it out and put together some consistent performances, I think my issue with Tech is when you look at matchups against teams like Pitt or even UVA that have offenses that can put up a lot of points, I don't know how they can compete in that game right now. Because Agreed. even though their defense is playing at a high level, I don't. 
they, I just don't think they're going to be able to score enough points. I don't think they're a team right now that can score 30 points against the Power 5 school. They haven't shown it yet. Now, Pitt's given up a bunch of points on defense. Miami, or Virginia's given up a bunch of points on defense. But we've seen North Carolina give a bunch, bunch of points on defense, and that hasn't mattered. So um, it's, it's just going to have to be a wait and see. Um, I, I, if, you, if, you look at the, um, if you look at FanDuel, Virginia Tech's the favorite out of the Coastal to win the ACC championship. They're third, and Miami's fourth. And then Clemson and North Carolina State are one and two. So yeah. Clemson that, is still that, far that away the favorite, um, which shouldn't be a surprise. But, um, yeah, we'll see. My my guess is I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say Virginia Tech, NC State, ACC championship this season. Book it. Yeah, I mean, that's the frustrating part with Tech. If, if, if we can just get just an average offense on the field – and this this may sound arrogant, but it, it's not. It's just a state of the coastal. If we can get an average offense on the field, it's a cakewalk to the championship game for us right now. Um, yeah, but right the now they rank 112th nationally. Right. That, that's what I mean. You get that number up to 70 or 60, it's a cakewalk. But the problem is the offense is so bad. It's so bad. Um that that has to improve. And if we if we keep trotting this offense out, we're going to be in the middle of the pack of the Coastal. And those are just the facts. All right, let's do some lines. What's your prediction, I'm first in. off? You didn't give me a prediction. You got to pick a prediction two teams. On, the two oh, teams. Well, if I'm picking two teams, gun to my head, um, give me Clemson versus Virginia Tech okay. for the championship game. And the reason I say Clemson is because – I see glimpses in DJU of an elite quarterback, and I saw him last year. He can't be broken. And in this, with that defense, I think defense I think we've got Spencer Rattler best. syndrome though with him. Uh, you might, and because God, I've never Spencer been Rattler. I've never Oof. been impressed with Spencer Rattler, but the media wants him to be so good. There is no reason he should have been on any preseason Heisman list. He just wasn't that good last year, and he. he yeah. He's been bad this year. Well, just go look at that throw to Justin Ross, their first score of the game against NC State, and and that's a throw Spencer Rattler and his dreams couldn't complete. Um, you know, you yeah. see those throws, and you're like, man, when this guy figures it out. But that's the craziest thing is that your comparison to Jamarcus Russell right now is spot on because that is one of the only other guys I've seen make throws that blow my mind in the way that DJU's completed passes do. Yeah. Um, where there's just the ball, the physics, the way he throws it, the force, the whip that he's generated, the speed on the ball, the velocity, the accuracy. When it all hits, it's something that will blow your mind. But right now, it's just so far from hitting. It's it's indescribable. And based on that coaching staff and their track record, I'm going to say that they get DJU playing at a level that's going to be able to win football games with that elite defense because the defense is... Uh, still, to me, far and away the best defense in the ACC with NC State, a, not a distant second, but certainly behind. All right, let's do some lines. Virginia at Miami. Miami is a five-and-a-half-point favorite Thursday night game. Tough game to predict. Who you got? 
is this tough? Because for me, this is easy. I mean, this is uh, Miami all the way. I uh, just what I saw from that defense was they are so far from being able to field a competitive defense right now that I think Derek King is going to have a field day. Now Miami's defense is no uh, shining beacon of success either, but I think they'll do enough to win by a couple touchdowns. Yeah, I think the bet on this game, um, I'm with you. I'm going to take Miami. Uh, the over under is only sixty two and a half. So I'm, oh, I'm taking the over. Definitely taking the over on that one. Yeah, um, with those two defenses, 100%. Guaranteed payout. Pitt at Georgia Tech. Pitt is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Another toughie. Who you got? This one is tough. Um, you know, you've got Georgia Tech riding high off a big win. Um, you've got a Pitt team that is coming in offensively, hitting on all cylinders, but it's the equivalent of hitting 50 bombs in the batting cage. So, ugh. give me Georgia Tech. I'm going to take Pitt here. I don't think, I just don't think Georgia Tech can score enough points to keep up with Pitt. And um, if you look at Kenny Pickett, he's having a big year. 15 touchdowns, one interception. He's averaging 386 passing yards per game. Pitt is averaging... 551 yards of total offense. I just don't think Georgia Tech can score enough points to beat Pitt. Um, although, you know, Pitt lost to Western Michigan. So it just it throws me off. But Georgia Tech also lost to Northern Illinois. He's even worse. So it's, you know, Pitt's 3-1 and one against the spread this year. Uh, that kind of led me to them. But I think Pitt does enough to uh, to pull away. Duke UNC UNC a nineteen and a half point favorite Tim who you got? Um, all the junk I talked about uh, UNC's defense hold that to the side because I'm taking UNC to cover the spread. Um, you know I just feel like after that embarrassing performance against Georgia Tech, coming up against a, a rival I guess I mean you've got two completely football apathetic fan bases so it's it's funny to call that a rivalry in football but it is. Um, they certainly take it seriously, and they're going to want to make a statement against a rival. So I think they're going to come out swinging and uh, look for a big game from Sam Howell. Yeah, too much firepower on offense for Duke to to keep this close. I do like Mateo Duran. I think he probably has a big game, but UNC, you know, just uh, too much. They're going to – I think they'll probably be up by 20 or more at halftime, if I had to guess. Louisville yeah, at too. Wake. Wake is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah. Easy pick. Wake to cover the spread. Yeah, I mean, this game, I'm, I'm going to go on Wake as well. I didn't think it was super easy, though. Because Louisville's been okay. Um, the, They've been okay. They have. They have been okay. The thing that kind of led me to Wake was their defense has been very good. They're only allowing 14.8 points per game. They held UVA to 17 points on the road. Um, and it just feels like a game where Louisville might turn the ball over four times. You know, I just yeah. have that vibe with Louisville right here. So I'm going to take Wake as well. Syracuse at Florida State. Florida State is a four and a half point favorite. They're zero and four. Who you got? So uh, this one's a, a, another one of those funny games because um, Syracuse is just. Man, at times they've looked terrible, and then you look at their record and you're like, yeah, well, they, I mean, they technically haven't been that bad. 
Um, and the opposite for Florida State, obviously. I mean, getting drugged by Jackson Fitz State on your home field certainly will will do that to you. Um, going to take Florida State in this one to cover the spread. Feels weird to say that, but I just think uh, Syracuse is a little bit of a mirage right now. Um, if you go back and look who they've played, I mean, the win against Liberty was unexpected. Um, but they really haven't been tested. And the one team, even though they don't have a pulse, but you look at Rutgers and see how bad they looked in that game. And I just don't see the team that lost 17-7 to at Rutgers um, or at home versus Rutgers going down to Tallahassee and losing uh, or winning. So give me Florida State. I expect them to win by at least a touchdown. And I know that's strange given what we've seen from Florida State this year, but it's just a feeling. Yeah, I'm going to go Syracuse. I uh, do not believe in Florida State one iota. Um, for me, it just came down to the defense. Syracuse defense is really good. The Florida State offense is really bad. That's a recipe for a disaster for, for Florida State. Um, offensively, you know, Syracuse is nothing to write home about. I do like Sean Tucker at running back. Um, Garrett Schroeder should be a second career start at, at – um, in the orange and blue, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb. I'm gonna say Syracuse. If Jacksonville State can roll in after a 34 nothing smackdown and beat Florida State at home, so can Syracuse. That's how I'm kind of looking at it. Louisiana Tech at number 23, NC State. NC State's a 20 and a half point favorite. Tim, how you leaning? So big emotional win versus Clemson. I think this one's going to be tighter than maybe a lot of people expect. So I'm going to have Louisiana Tech beat the spread. I don't think don't think they'll beat NC State, um, but I think they'll lose by about two touchdowns. You know, it's just it, it's hard to turn around after something like that win against Clemson and have your head completely in the game coming back and playing a Skip Holtz coached uh, Louisiana Tech team. So Skip Holtz, also another guy that knows Raleigh extremely well from his time with the Pirates and had decent success against NC State. So maybe some of that mojo will carry over uh, and help my prediction out. Yeah, same thought process. Um, Louisiana Tech has played every team close this season, win or lose. they're not a bad team. They had a 20-point lead on Mississippi State and blew it and lost by one in week one so um you know i think uh, i think 20 and a half the that line kind of stood out to me a little bit it just seemed like too many points um so yep. i'm going to take louisiana tech i still think it's state wins boston college at clemson clemson is a 15 and a half point favorite tim who you got well see this one i struggled mightily with this one clemson against the run is infallible um, they are a an extremely good run team, run run defense team, great pass defense team too. But really, I mean, trying to run into the jaws of that NC State or that Clemson defense is going to be a, a tall, tall task for Boston College. Then you look at the flip side, and I would be surprised if Clemson scored 15 points in any game. So, yeah, <laughs> what do you do? What do you do with this pick? I think I'm going to lean into what I predicted earlier, which is that DJU is going to put it together at least to play at an average level. If DJU is able to play at an average level, Clemson will beat that spread. They'll cover the spread, I should say. So give me Clemson to cover that spread. They got embarrassed last week. They're going to come out to prove that they're still the you know the ACC behemoth. Um, and they are in, you know, we can't lose. We have to start making statements mode. 
uh, for the rest of this ACC season, at least until more teams in the Atlantic get some losses. So this is a chance for them to give another one of those undefeated teams uh, a loss. Um, and I think they'll look to do that jump ahead early. So I'm going to give them, uh, you know, my vote in covering that spread. Yeah, I mean, I think Clemson's going to win this game, but I'm definitely taking BC in the points here. I think um, too much just around offense. I think the BC defense is better than people want to give it credit for. Um, so for DJU to just all of a sudden find a rhythm against a pretty solid Boston College defense, I just don't think that's realistic. I think the biggest uh, concern I would have if I'm BC is Grissel turning the football over and Clemson getting a defensive touchdown. Um, that would lead them to being able to cover this. But I think 15.5 points for Clemson right now is way too many points. Um, I mean, they're just, they scored 14 against Georgia Tech, you know. Uh, and Georgia Tech is not as good of a football team as Boston College, and that was also at Clemson. So, you know, for me, I like where BC's at. I don't think they have enough firepower on offense to, to do much. I think they may score a touchdown or two, but this game I think will be – Fairly close, but Clemson should be able to keep uh, an arm's length away from them. What is your wild card game of the week? So, wild card game of the week, you know I like to mix up conferences. I tend to go SEC a lot because um, the SEC games to me are fun to watch. But I want to mix it up uh, at least a little bit this time around. So I thought about maybe doing the Pac-12, but, you know, in order to stay up and watch a Pac-12 game, that requires me to actually stay awake uh, for a really long time. So I kind of want to get it over with early. I like all those Utah in-state matchups. You know, you have the Holy War with Utah and BYU. Um, BYU also sporting, I think, some of the best uniforms in college football, which give me a reason to tune in. Um, hopefully they'll be wearing their all-blues Uh the Royal, not the Navy, because I don't know why they ever went to Navy to begin with. It's definitely a inferior color compared to the Royal Blue. Um, so we've got Utah State coming into town, or the inverse of that, uh, BYU on the road at Utah State. Utah State, no slouch this year. Uh, they've played really well. They beat Washington State barely week one. That's not saying much, but they've got an offense that's uh, put up about 48, 49 points uh, two weeks this year. So they're capable of scoring drubbed by Boise state at, uh, at Boise state last week, 27 to three BYU 13th ranked team. Um, at least what I'm seeing on my end, uh, they're only favored by nine points. Now, why you say, given that they're ranked so high, they're undefeated. Well, if you look at their last game against a USF team that NC state made look very pedestrian, they won 35 to 27. So that doesn't bode well. Um, for future success if you want to compare it on its head. Uh, now, I will say I am going to take BYU to cover the nine-point spread. I think that they should be able to do that against Utah State, but it is a rivalry game. Utah State being at home will have a, a good home field advantage. Those Aggies really like to get after it out there in Utah. So um, I'm hopeful that my nine-point cover stands out and is able to bring me home a much-needed W if I'm going to turn this thing around, but it should be a good game for the vast majority of the game. So Brigham Young covered the spread nine points at Utah State. Uh, that's where I'm putting my money. Okay. That was a lot of words. Um, I like words. BYU minus nine over Utah State, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm taking what I feel like is just 
the lowest of low-hanging fruit. And uh, I, you know, I thought I was doing it last year. I got last week. I got poisoned. You know, Michigan State let me down against Nebraska. Only one by three. I needed four and a half. I'm gonna go Iowa and Maryland. Iowa is a three and a half point favorite. Both teams off to a four zero start, but I still think Maryland is a pretender at this point. They had a nice home win against West Virginia. They squeaked by a bad Illinois team. Iowa's defense under the radar, one of the best yes, in the are. country. You know, yep. I think Iowa's the best team in the Big Ten this year, and I just think Maryland really is going to really struggle to move the football and probably have a few turnovers. So um, I don't think it's going to be a super high-scoring game, um, but I think Iowa wins by more than three and a half. So I'm going to go Iowa on the road at College Park to beat the Maryland Terrapins. So we'll see what Good happens. thing for Iowa, there is literally no home field advantage in College Park. Um, that's a ghost town. So yeah, yeah, I like I like yeah, the picks. I like the pick a lot. Yeah, and yeah, as you said, Iowa. I mean, so consistently well coached, and like you said, that defense is impressive, man. Um, ever since I picked Indiana over Iowa, I've kind of paid attention to them because of how badly that pick worked out for me. Um, and Iowa, strong football team this year. Iowa hasn't lost a football game in almost an entire season, almost a year. It's impressive, man. Last it's impressive, October and that defense is. Yeah, and it, you see them when they play, and they don't always have the most uh, sexy offense on the field. Um, but, man, that is a good defense. And the offense does enough to, you know, they're in that average category to where they do more than enough to win football games. And, you know, when we sit on this side of the fence as Hokie fans and see what we trot out on a week-to-week basis, um, even average looks like the uh, – Chiefs from two years ago. Yeah, so, no. Funny no, how that works out. Yeah, no. I think um, mm-hmm. I think Iowa is under the radar playoff caliber. And yes, definitely. If they got to the playoff and potentially won a, a natty, it would give me a lot of hope as a Virginia Tech fan. Um, because I, I think they're two very similar programs. Um, at least they have been historically. But, yeah, it'd be wild to see uh, to see Iowa – win a national championship and they haven't been close in a long time remember when brad banks was their quarterback i do that yeah, was brad uh, banks of washington football team fame yeah that was that was probably the last time they were close to a national championship so we'll see what happens but that's our show for today thanks for listening um tim any final words before we sign this off just thanks for hanging in there with us i know this can come off uh I don't know, uh, negative at times. But if you look at the results in the field, they kind of just reflect what we're seeing on a day-to-day basis. Um, and yeah, man, uh, that's just how it goes around these parts right now. Hopefully we see some improvement and bye week is coming in at the right time. I'd be curious to see what the line is and how much bye week is favored over the Virginia Tech Hokies this week. But I will uh, you know, save myself that embarrassment and not check it. And just hope that we don't have any PR failings or injuries or anything else that we tend to stub our toe on. Uh, And and maybe we can go in and shuffle that offensive line around and and figure out a way to make uh, life a little easier for Braxton Burmeister and get the ball in the hands of wide receivers. That would be certainly a nice start and a nice change of pace. But um, 
yeah, other than that, I got nothing. Just bear with us through the negative. It's always darkest before the sun shines, and somehow, even with everything we've seen, I'm still fighting myself to not buy in to Virginia Tech in the ACC title game. Although, when you look at the Coastal, oh boy, um, if we're not favorites, we're doing something really, really wrong. Yeah, and I, I don't really even see it as negative. Like, there's a difference between being negative and, you know, talking about reality. And we're stuck in a pretty uh, pretty bad reality when it comes to the offensive side of the football right now. So, you know, hopefully they snap out of it. I think they can. I think there's enough talent here. It's just uh, they just have to go and do it. So we'll see what happens. I it, to, to your point about the line, I'm, I'm thinking 7.5 sounds about what Notre yeah. Dame will come in favorite as. Um, yeah. I'd be surprised if it was any less than that, any more than that. You know, they really have to knock the block off of Cincinnati this weekend. So, um, and I don't think that's going to happen. But thanks for listening. No. We're Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. Uh, Tim, why don't you uh, tell these people what they can do for us? Tell your friends, leave a review. We love five-star reviews. We love hearing from you guys. That goes a long way towards our visibility. Helps us pop up uh, higher up the pecking order when you search uh, ACC Football Virginia Tech on any sort of podcast app. So we greatly appreciate it. Um, You know, you guys have been just awesome all year interacting with us on Twitter. I mean, I've had so much fun on Saturdays, uh, you know, working that Twitter account along with Justin. And just keep it up. I mean, this has been the most interactive you guys have been ever. Um, maybe some of that is from ire that is drawn from offensive uh, underperformance. But either way, we'll take it. Um, we certainly uh, like jumping in here weekly and talking ACC football with you guys and interacting with you. So keep it up. Um, but other than that, that's all we got for this week. Yep. See you guys next week. <laughs>